the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezekiel. I'm a cheat because my dad was a cheat. I'm an alcoholic because mom was an alcoholic. I have a bad temper because dad had a bad temper. I lie a little bit because mom lied a little bit. Listen, I get it. We all get it, don't we? The, the influence of mom and dad is real. But let me say something to you. The influence of God is greater. The influence of God is greater. And at some point, we have to stand up and take responsibility for our lives and stop blaming mom and dad. We're living in a generation that wants to blame everybody. You can never mature in Christ to the level you're meant to if you pass blame for your actions onto others. God wants to work in and use people that take responsibility for what they do and that keep their hearts set on Him. Today, Pastor Gary is going to encourage you that no matter where you are, God will still meet you and begin to change your heart to turn it to Him if you let Him. He's more than fair, and anything you've done in the past will be forgiven. God is faithful if you trust in Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, as he begins his message, God is Better Than Fair. All right, Ezekiel chapter 18 is where we are today. I'm going to read the first part of chapter 18 and then the majority of the last part of chapter 18, but let's start in verse 1. Ezekiel 18 verse 1 says, the word of the Lord came to me again, Ezekiel writing, saying, what do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Jump down to verse 21. Ezekiel 18, verse 21. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed. Because of them he shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel. Is not my way which is fair, 
and your ways, which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Let's pause there and pray. Lord, we commit our Bible study to you. We're thankful for your love and your word, which is truth. Even though this is a story that is ancient, we thank you that your word is timeless and relevant even for our day. So use it now to open the eyes of our hearts that we might respond to the truth of your word and receive these things personally for us today. We love you. We give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. For those of you who might be new to the study of Ezekiel, the context of our story is this. The Jewish people have been banished by God from Israel to Babylonia to spend 70 years in a timeout because of their sin and rebellion against God. So God has allowed them to be transported, to be overtaken by the Babylonian Empire, and their new home now is by the rivers of Babylon, by the Euphrates and the Tigris, in what is today modern Iraq. They've brought it upon themselves. They were warned time and time again, but they didn't heed the warnings. And so they rebelled against God. They worshiped false idols. They didn't worship the true and living God. And now they're in Babylonia and they're going to spend 70 years there. Ezekiel, one of the Jews among them, has been raised up by God as a prophet in Babylonia, along with the captives of Israel, there to challenge them and there to encourage them and to speak into their lives. And what we find here in chapter 18 is that the Jewish people are looking at their circumstances in Babylonia, and they have two objections with God. And these two objections are addressed here in chapter 18, and here they are. They're basically in Babylonia saying, it's not my fault, and God is not fair. It's not my fault that I'm here, I shouldn't be here, and God's not fair. When people from time to time say to me, you know, Pastor Gary, isn't the Bible just a really old book with just a bunch of old stories? And I'm like, listen, you haven't read it because if you don't realize how timeless this truth is, man, you don't read it because this speaks to our own culture today, right? It's not my fault and God's not fair. This is what is being spoken of by the Jewish people here in chapter 18 and God's going to address both these issues. The first thing that we see here at the beginning of chapter 18 is this issue with them saying, it's not my fault. They are quoting a proverb in the day that goes like this. Notice again in your Bibles, verse 2. They quote this proverb, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. It's called a proverb, not because it's a wise saying, like the book of Proverbs in your Bibles are filled with truisms, wise sayings from the Lord. 
It's referred to as a proverb simply because it's commonly repeated in that day. It is said over and over again. And by the way, saying something over and over again doesn't necessarily make it true. We all understand that, right? There are certain proverbs that we say in our day over and over again aren't necessarily true. For example, a few proverbs that we say in our day, like this one. If it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. You know that proverb. Everybody goes around saying that. If it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. What it should really say is, if it doesn't kill you, it's going to make you really, really sick. If it doesn't kill you, it might give you hepatitis, all right? You may not die, but you're going to get really, really sick. I had a friend of mine who always went around saying that. If it doesn't kill me, it'll make me stronger. If it doesn't kill me, it'll make me stronger. One day, he decided to go into the refrigerator, eat a carton of yogurt that he knew had an expiration date a month old. He said, what could it harm me? If it doesn't kill me, it'll make me stronger. You know, it's all bacteria cultures anyway. Oh, it harmed him. Oh, he spent the next several hours over a toilet. It harmed him, all right. How about this statement? The customer is always right. Now, everybody who's a customer loves that. Those of you who work in customer service just groaned. We heard you. Because the customer's not always right. Where did we come up with this? But it's a proverb we go around saying. Here's another one. Journalists love this one. The pen is mightier than the sword. The pen is mightier than the sword. That's because that journalist has never been in combat. Can you imagine some commanding officer like, all right, listen, guys, guys, we're going to go take the hill. We're going to charge the hill. Remember, no man left behind. And when you run out of ammunition, just take a pen. It's mightier than a sword. You're going to be fine. Or this one, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, fine, then I guess you won't mind me saying that you're stupid for believing that. (laughs) Words do hurt, but we go around saying things that have become common proverbs that aren't necessarily true. This is what they're doing here in this day. And the proverb they're quoting there again in verse 2, fathers have eaten sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the Septuagint translates the phrase, the children's teeth are set on edge as they suffer pain in the teeth, meaning the kids got a toothache because mom and dad were eating too many sour grapes. Or another way of saying it is mom and dad ate too much candy and the kids got the cavities. This was the proverb they were quoting as a way to deflect responsibility. This was a way to shift the blame. Mom and dad have done some things, and the only reason that we're in the mess we're in is because mom and dad. We're not really at fault. We're not really responsible. It's not my fault. And this is the saying that they would go around quoting in order to absolve themselves of personal responsibility. And every generation was quoting this, generation after generation. So they're basically saying, it's not my fault. I only worshipped idols because mom and dad worshipped idols. It's not my fault. I only sacrificed to these false gods because mom and dad sacrificed to these false gods. And it plays out in our day in a similar way. I'm a cheat because my dad was a cheat. I'm an alcoholic because mom was an alcoholic. I have a bad temper because dad had a bad temper. I lie a little bit because mom lied a little bit. Listen, I get it. We all get it, don't we? The, The influence of mom and dad is real. But let me say something to you. The influence of God is greater. The influence of God is greater. And at some point, we have to stand up and take responsibility for our lives and stop blaming mom and dad. We're living in a generation that wants to blame everybody. 
Last time I checked, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, in Christ, you're a new creation. So how about you take responsibility for your life and you start to hand down a new heritage, a different heritage to your children, right? This is what God does in our lives. And all this blame shifting gets us nowhere. It just perpetuates this cycle of blame. This is why God says in verse 3 of our text, As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. As I live, that is a statement in the Hebrew that means an oath is taken. And when God says, as I live, he's swearing an oath and he's swearing it by himself because there is no one greater and nothing higher than himself. So he says, as I live, it would be like the way we say, you know, I swear if you do that one more time, I'm going to kick you to the curb. You know, when we start a sentence like that, I swear it's like we're taking an oath, like we're really serious about this. This is what God is saying. As I live... He's swearing by himself because there's nothing and no one higher than himself. He says, do not quote this proverb in Israel anymore. Everybody's going around saying, it's not my fault. And they're blaming somebody else. God says, I want you to stop saying that. Now, objection number one, it's not my fault, dovetails into objection number two. God is not fair. Here's why. Because you see, if they feel like they're living in Babylonia as a result of God's punishment but they feel like that they are only there in Babylonia because they're only following what mom and dad taught them, and so they don't think they're at fault, then naturally, if they look at their circumstances and they don't like where they are, and they feel like God's punishing them, and they think that God's punishing them for something that they're not at fault concerning, well, then naturally they think God's not fair. God's not fair. I shouldn't even be here in Babylonia. My parents are at fault. They're the ones who taught me to do what I did. And therefore, I'm in a mess here. And God, you're not fair. So this is the second issue that God is going to address here. And he addresses it in verse 25 and again in verse 29. Look at verse 25. He says, yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel. Is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair. Now, here's why God is saying that their ways are not fair, because the people were basically saying that they want to live however they want to live. They want to blame whoever they want to blame, and they want to get away with whatever they can get away with and say, that's fair. Wait a minute, wait a minute. God's saying, isn't your way the way that's not fair? You're going around saying we want to live However we want to live, we want to blame whoever we want to blame, and we want to get away with whatever we want to get away with, and we think that that's fair. God's saying, that's not fair. And no reasonable person would think that that life is fair. I just want to live however I want, blame whoever I can, and get away with whatever I can. That's not fair. And so God is saying here, you're the ones really who are living an unfair life. Isn't it instead beyond fair of God? When he says in this chapter, basically summarizing it, whoever takes responsibility for his or her sins and turns from them and turns to God, whoever does this, they will be forgiven and they will be given a new heart and a new spirit and God will not hold their past against them. Isn't that better than fair? That's beyond fair. Where else does this exist? Where else can you commit the crime and not have to do the time because you own it, really mean that you're sorry, 
except with God. God is the one who acknowledges our sorrow, who is merciful to us, who forgives us when we don't deserve it. That's beyond fair. And if you're not amazed at His grace, it's because you haven't lived long enough to regret some things in your life. All right? For anybody who's lived long enough to regret some things in your life, you are amazed at the grace of God. Are you not? God's grace is amazing. He is beyond fair. So he calls out the Jewish people and says, you think you're fair? Let's get this straight. You want to live however you want. You want to blame everybody for your mistakes, your sins, your faults, and then you want to get away with anything and everything. That's not fair. No, fairness is owning up, taking responsibility, acknowledging our sin, and then appealing to the mercy of God and experiencing His grace and His forgiveness. And God will not hold our past against us. Now, since, as I said at the opening of the Bible study, our society is much like the days of Ezekiel, even though we're 2,500 years following, I think you would agree with me that, in general, there are a lot of people in our culture today who have a low view on personal responsibility and a high view on blaming God for not being fair. And so we can learn some things from this chapter. Let's understand a few things from chapter 18 about how God is better than fair. That's the title of this teaching, how God is better than fair. Here's the first thing we need to understand from chapter 18 to get a realistic approach to the whole topic. Number one is that every soul belongs to God. Every soul belongs to God, and thus we are all accountable to Him. If you look back at the beginning of chapter 18 at verse 4, God makes a simple statement right out of the gate. Verse 4, behold, all souls are mine. All souls are mine. The word soul in the Hebrew is nephesh. It means living, breathing being. And God is basically saying here at the beginning that every living, breathing being belongs to God. That God establishes at the beginning of this chapter here, his rightful ownership of every single life. He is the author of life. He is the giver of life. He is the sustainer of life. He is the Lord of life. And God predetermines, did you know this, every single day of your life before the first one came to be. God is ruler over life. And every single soul belongs to him. Which is why, by the way, it is a sinful thing in the taking of an innocent life. Because whenever we take an innocent life, we are taking something that belongs exclusively to God that He alone is entitled to give and take life. And since every life belongs to God, then every life is also accountable to God. When we sin against Him, and everybody does, if we deny our sin or blame others for our sin, then we will be condemned for our sin. But, on the other hand, if we acknowledge our sin and repent of our sin, then God is merciful to us and will forgive us. Look at verse 30. This will lead into point number 2. Verse 30 there in chapter 18. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent. Circle that in your Bible. Repent. And turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Repent is the word that is used there in verse 30. It's point number two. Repentance is the pathway to mercy. Repent means to change the course of one's life 
because you're sorry over sin. And so you do an about face. Repent is basically you're going in one direction away from God towards sin. And repent means you turn from sin and turn towards God. It's 180 degrees in the opposite direction. The word repent is used more than 100 times in your Bibles. And it's not just exclusive to the Old Testament. It's also very much in the New Testament. In fact, the very first word recorded spoken by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Likewise, the very first word recorded from Jesus, recorded in Matthew 4, verse 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostle Peter preached a great evangelistic sermon On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, his lead word, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent. It's an important word we must recapture in our vocabulary. In 1937, the American Tract Society sponsored a contest in which they offered a prize of $1,000, which was big money in 1937. They offered $1,000 for the best new book written on one of the, quote, essential evangelical doctrines of the Christian faith. American Tract Society, 1937, $1,000, whoever can come up with the best book related to the essential doctrine of the Christian faith. Dr. Harry Ironside won the contest. Dr. Ironside was the pastor of Moody Memorial Church in Chicago for many years. And the title of his book that won the contest was Accept Ye Repent. And it was taken from the words of Jesus recorded in Luke 13, verse 3. In the King James Version, Jesus said, Accept ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And so Dr. Ironside entitled his book, Accept Ye Repent. Let me quote for you the first sentence from Dr. Ironside's introduction of that book in 1937 quote fully convinced in my own mind that the doctrine of repentance is the missing note in many otherwise orthodox and fundamentally sound circles today i have penned this volume out of a full heart end quote repentance he says is the missing note in many otherwise sound churches And my friends, if that was so in 1937, how much more true is it today? Some churches aren't talking about repentance. They don't like that word. The modern church today doesn't often talk about repentance. The modern church today, instead of saying repentance, preaches tolerance. That's what the modern church is preaching today. Tolerance instead of repentance. Because repentance confronts sin. Tolerance either denies it or redefines it altogether. Tolerance is a message that basically will make you feel good in the moment, but will not liberate anybody. Tolerance is basically the message in replacement of repentance, which is an illusion that no one needs changing, that God accepts you just as you are, that he made you just as you are, and he's fine with you just as you are. No change necessary. Repentance, on the other hand, requires an honest assessment of one's life against the standard of God's unchanging truth. And where my life falls short of that perfect standard of God, that's called sin. 
Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. Today's message focused on the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel is the Old Testament book that records the foretold judgments on the Jewish people living in exile because they chose sin over God. You know what? They kept rebelling. And I'm sure some wondered, why is this happening? Like them, sometimes I ask that same question. But you know, there's hope for all of us because God isn't a God of confusion. Sure, He'll send a fatherly reprimand because we sinned, but we can trust that He's still with us. He's like the flashlight in a dark room. He'll show us the way. If you liked what you heard today, there are many other messages waiting just for you at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Don't miss out on more from Pastor Gary. Take the time to go to cornerstoneconnection.cc today. You'll have no regrets. Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in fellowship. To find out more, go to our homepage. We believe in the power of praying together and for one another. So email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.